Fanon. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action. Hello, everyone. My name is Monis Rose, and I am the host of the podcast we're listening to. That podcast is Restaurant Fiction. What is Restaurant Fiction? Restaurant Fiction is the podcast that reviews every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film. We also bring along the showrunner, the writer, the director, the agent, the executive, the manager, the prominent critic who has something significant to say about the fictional restaurant barn club and we bring it to life small piece of the puzzle that is actually so so important and so so memorable to the artistic work that you hold dear to your heart at least we hope so who is that showrunner for today and what is that fictional restaurant well let's go to the fictional restaurant first the fictional restaurant is called Restaurante Vigna Vecchia. I do mispronounce it in the, our, my actual conversation, but it is called Restaurante Vigna Vecchia. It is not an osteria. It is not a trattoria. It is not a pizzeria. It is a restaurante, which I believe, I believe is, it's not, it's like casual. It's in between casual and fine dining. Not, not too, too casual, but not too, too osteria like fine dining. You know, still, you know, wear maybe a collared shirt, I guess, but you don't have to go super formal. So what show is Restaurante from? It is from the hit Netflix series called From Scratch. And we are bringing along the showrunner, the head writer, Attica Locke, to talk about Vigna Vecchia, all things from scratch. And we get creative deep dive into her writing process, the writer's room from scratch, even her novels, her incredible, awesome, crime thrilling novels. Anyway, I could talk and talk and talk about life in LA, about awesome restaurants, about surfing. That's not what this podcast is about. Maybe someday, maybe not. I don't know. I'm winded. Anyway, here's my awesome conversation with Attica Locke and our review of Vigna Vecchia. Excuse me, I just mispronounced it again. Restaurante Vigna Vecchia from the hit Netflix series From Scratch. Go. Guys, gals, children of all ages, restaurant fiction, we dined, we dined in Florence, Italy. We dined in Florence, Italy, in the uh, Tuscan town. We went to a restaurante, a restaurante called Vigna Vecchia. And this restaurante, it's not really an osteria. It's not definitely not a pizzeria. It, it's kind of, though, a little bit Sicilian. 
And what do I mean by that? Well, first and foremost, it is very, very welcoming. It's very, very welcoming, but also you can impress, say, a date at this place. You can impress your parents at this place. And what I really, what Restaurant Friction really, really loves about it, though, there is a free flowing flow without any of the cliche. What am I saying? Well, if you dine at a lot of Italian restaurants, even in Italy, even in all over Italy, it doesn't matter if it's in Piedmont, in the north, if it's, you know, way in Sicily, there is always a cliched rhythm. Like you're going to get the appetizer, you know, you're going to get the salad, the soup, the pasta, the protein, yada, yada, yada. And there's wines. You don't really get that in Ristorante Vignavecchia. You get whatever the chef sends out. And one thing about this chef is he's confident, he's calm, he's polished, and he goes at his own rhythm. He goes at his own flow. And all of his dishes, they blend, you know, Florence cooking, but they also blend a little bit of his Sicilian roots. For example, the squid ink pasta. I mean, squid ink is in a Sicilian dish. You're bringing it over to Florence. You're bringing it over all over to Italy. So you're going to get the brininess. You're going to get the muscle. And really, he's kind of just sending out dishes like he feels like it. Whatever, it, it almost seems like the chef is doing R&D on the fly. But really, there's, it's like a skilled craftsman. And that's what makes this restaurant special. It makes it so special that you can seal the deal with whatever significant other you're trying to, uh, you know, woo. You can bring your parents, you know, to really, really impress. You can bring your friends. You can bring even business partners if you need some uh, funding, if you will. But what is the quintessential dish? Well, you know, we're going to cut to brass tacks. And there are many. There are many. I mean, he can just course it out and course it out and course it out. But really, it is the Besteca alla Fiorentina. And what is the true test? Well, if you bring, you know, the corn-fed Texan who is used to these huge (laughs) gargantuan slices of ribs, and you put this 50-ounce behemoth of fatty, grade A5, almost, I mean, you know, Wagyu in front of this person, well, he's going to go to heaven. She's going to go to heaven. All of them are going to go to heaven. I mean, and that is the true dish of dishes. And obviously, if you are not a meat eater, if you are not a carnivore at all, well, then we always recommend the chef's broccoli risotto or risotto verde, because after that, it's all over. Anyway, that is our quick little review of Restaurant Vigna Vecchia. We are talking to the showrunner of From Scratch. Now, Restaurant Vigna Vecchia was the fictional restaurant featured in From Scratch. Attica Lock. Attica, what do you have to say about that review? What is your take? What is your spin on it? What did we miss? What did we hit? Floor is yours. You described the food beautifully. I have to say, the review came on a night when Lino was definitely trying to woo a woman. I don't know that the menu would look that great if you just came on a regular Tuesday. But if you were there on a night that he was trying to get a woman to fall in love with him, you would also get to taste all those wonderful dishes. Making up this restaurant, it's based on a real restaurant in Florence called Aqua Due. 
where my brother-in-law used to work. You know, From Scratch is based on uh, my sister's memoir. And there was a scene like that in the memoir, as there was in life, where he asked her to come to the restaurant. And part of him wooing her was dish after dish after dish. And the signature risotto verde. Wow. Now, before we get into some more From Scratch questions, if you were to put up Ristorante Vigna Vecchia or even Lino's pop-up along Highway 59, which is the uh, motif of the highway in your crime novels, how would how would Lino's restaurant do along Highway 59? Oh, man, I think it would take a lot to get people in the door. And they would think it was kind of funny. Now, this is real interesting. Now, what would you say you call this? They're not of that. But I think once they tasted it, they would love it. Because I actually know that happened in real life. When my brother-in-law came to Texas, he was a part of our family. And whenever he cooked, he, he won everybody over. From Scratch Questions, what was your favorite food scene to write? I think it's actually, ironically, the scene where Amy tries to make him lunch and she puts too much vinegar in the salad dressing and thinks that balsamic vinegar is the height of, you know, culinary excellence and uses way too much of it. I just thought it was fun. It was funny. It showed her trying, you know, to not match him, but at least be so giving. He's such a giving guy to her. He's always, you know, there's a bicycle, there's a meal, there's this. And she tries to do something back and it doesn't go well. And then he turns it into, what do you got here? You know, he shows us also, look, I can make anything with anything. So you got some garlic and pasta and oil, we can have a meal. Excellent. And, you know, going off of that awesome answer, you know, what does the food in From Scratch say about the characters and also the world? I'm glad you asked the question because we wanted food to speak to character and story in a big way. And I think if you look back on the whole series, you'll realize that a lot of the most pivotal moments in the storytelling happen around dinner tables or restaurant tables, like Amy and Lino starting to fall in love, that big Thanksgiving scene with her family and and him trying to merge together. When his parents came to town, there are so many big moments that happen around food. And I, I think we wanted to express the many different ways food plays in our lives as comfort as a way to woo, as a way to manipulate, as a way to honor, as a way to love. And I think over the course of it, on Lino's side, you see him becoming more himself with his food. Because a lot of what he cooks at Vigna Vecchia is it's Florentine with a little Sicilian. And then by the time he gets his own restaurant, he really is fully owning the, the food and the cuisine of his youth. I think you see how his mom uses food to reach him, to love him. And certainly to control, to control her husband, to control Amy. That's kind of fascinating. And then I think it's interesting the way in which Amy's family, their their Texas Southern food gets also its own space to be honored. Their big fight at Thanksgiving when he makes all of this fancy lasagna, Bianco, like he makes all this fancy stuff and they just want to eat mac and cheese. There's a line that she says, and she says, and it's, there's value to it, that were they rude and not eating its food? Yes. But is it true that that food matters too? And that people, when they gather on their holidays, they want to eat the food that is familiar to them. That's part of what food is doing, is providing us with memories. And it's the thing that stitches our culture together. And so I think it was interesting. I guess one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments 
is at the end of episode two when she makes regrets. And he's like, Amore, this is polenta. And she's like, yeah, okay, polenta in Italy, but it's grits in Texas, but it's kind of the same thing. And that that's a, a way in which we wanted to say, even though cultures on the surface seem so vastly different, we all love food and we all define our cultures in part by what we eat. And for the audience, for the listeners out there that don't know this scene well, guess what? It's It features our main characters, Amy and Lino, but then Amy's parents who are pretty opinionated. They they already have their uh, judgments, if you will. And on this table, I just want to paint the picture. There is the traditional Thanksgiving turkey and all the fixings there. But on the other side is Lino's more authentic Sicilian dishes. By the way, the Sicilian authentic dishes are pretty much left untouched. Now, Attica, what are you eating at the Thanksgiving table? Are you going more towards the Sicilian because you're used to, you know, the Thanksgiving turkey? Or are you just siding with the turkey side? Where, what are you doing at the Thanksgiving meal? I would have, in that instance, had a little of everything, but I probably, I love a Greenberg smoked turkey from Tyler, Texas. So I really would have made sure that I would have made sure my plate had all the things that I associate with Thanksgiving. Cause I, for me, I eat them once a year. So I want the turkey. I want the macaroni and cheese. I want the stuffing. I want all of that stuff or dressing as we call it in the South. But I would have tried Luna's food because it looked pretty good. And you mentioned this already, but you know, you have a lot of scenes where characters, whether they're the main characters supporting, are breaking bread, you know, literally, figuratively, like what makes even this important, important in the series, important in the food scenes? It's, you know, it's it's one of the most elemental of human experiences, eating food. And it's one of the most elemental experiences of community, whether your community is just your nuclear unit or your extended family, or whether your community begins to include friends and neighbors and co-workers. Food is how we come together. Uh, it's how we share bits and pieces of ourselves. There's nothing, I think, uh, there are very few things rather that are as intimate as making a meal for someone and sharing your food with, with people. It's a very intimate experience and it brings people together. And we also fight over big meals. That 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 also happens. <laughs> You mentioned you had, obviously, you had your your sister and you had your sister's memoir as research, but how did you do your own culinary research or culinary field research? Well, I will say this. We had all the help in the world, and a lot of it had to do, Timby took the lead on a lot of it because she lived it. And of course, I had eaten my brother-in-law's food all the time, so I also had a sense of what would be authentically him and what wouldn't be. And so we were lucky in that we had several people that helped us. If you can believe it, one of the people that was a big help to us was a guy whose name is Lino. He's called Chef Lino. His last name is Sistu, I believe. Uh, you can find him on Instagram. He helped design and cook the look of a lot of that food. And he was also Lino's hand double in a lot of that chopping. Uh, yeah, so Lino was Lino's hand double. So crazy thing. So Chef Lino helped us design menus with Tembi. And then we also had a wonderful um, woman in our food stylist department. Her name was, um, was uh, April Falzone, 
she was super helpful. So we we leaned on on other people to help us with the research. Timmy would give them just a kind of a sketch of an idea of an arc of a meal that you would start here and you would end here. And then those guys would help us fill it out a lot. So we had a lot of help. I did mostly tasting and taking food home at the end of the day. That was one of the craziest things is I would go by the props department at the end of the day to see if they had anything left over. And, you know, the the Sicilian actors who came who played Lino's parents, they are both from Sicily. They both speak no English. And I don't know if you remember in episode five, there's a whole bit about the eggplant parmigiana. Well, they loved it so much, the food that was in the scene, that they all took it home. We thought that was the biggest compliment that we had really pulled this off, that the Sicilian cast were like, we're taking this back to our apartments in LA. Wow. Wow. I mean, yes. I mean, for, for me, the that's even the higher, that's even higher praise. Like for me, the biggest compliment is when there's clean plates, you know, that yes. there's no, everyone's quiet. Everyone, you know, usually is quiet. And then I barely have to do the dishes because there's nothing to clean up. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so moving on, you know, and you did this so well in From Scratch, like how can a writer, and this is more fictional restaurant questions, how can a writer make a like a restaurant more more than just a vehicle for characters to talk? Well, I'll start with the restaurant part because I think it, it from there you get to the food. I think you you rather than interior restaurant night, really take the time to figure out what kind of restaurant is it, what makes it special. Find a way to work into the script itself some key details from which production design and your props department can extrapolate and build out a world. You want to make it feel just as specific as, as you possibly can. Rather than just, it's a, like you said, like a kind of blank slate where you just, you know, is it like a Chili's type bar? And if it's a Chili's type bar, what makes it not Chili's? What makes it, is it all ducks on the wall? Is it all, you know, and then they have a whole theme, of a whole flight of duck themed whiskeys. I mean, just find something that makes it super, super specific. And then from there, I think the menu flows. And also figure out what the scene is about. If they're actually eating in the scene, where are you going to get the most mileage? Like, is it soup? Is it sat? Like, what is going to give you the most? And what's the scene? Because if it's a if it's a business meeting and you ordered soup and you're slurping and it it's, doesn't go well, it makes your pitch go badly. Like, you're using the props of food to inform or complicate the scene that's happening, depending on if it's a mother and daughter, depending on if it's a, you know, a father and his little son. Like, whatever it is, you can use the type of food that they're eating and the type of place. Also the type of place who chose where they're going and what does that say about character? Like if I'm, if I'm going to sit down and tell my mom that I met a girl and we're going to get married, where did I choose to have that conversation? And did I make a mistake in where I chose to have the conversation? You know, just all kinds of things that can complicate what can go on and, and interrupt the conversation, deepen the conversation that's actually happening. I would just ask myself, as a writer, all kinds of questions like that when constructing a scene. What is your dream fictional restaurant, the Atacolac version? Okay. It's basically a library with a bar in it. Like it would basically be, you couldn't have anything really messy in it. Like, so you have to have 
tapas or something with you always use a fork because I don't want you to be re- like really my dream restaurant would be a bar with a little bit of food and books and couches and you could stay there all day reading. That would be my dream. Well, that's fantastic. And um, hopefully it won't like, will it smell dusty? I'm just getting this set. Like, would it smell like an old funny dusty no, library? I think, it- it's, I think it's no. I don't need I don't need the dusty book smell. I hope it smells like whiskey, wine, and garlic. <laughs> this could be in the writing process or even in the development process. And whether it be from scratch or one of your other past shows or a pilot, an original pilot of yours, or even your crime thrilling novels. Like, how important is it for you to know what your characters eat and drink? I will admit I never think about it unless they're in a scene where that's pertinent. But then when we're in a scene where that's pertinent, it's very important. I'm actually thinking of a scene in the book, Bluebird, Bluebird, where it's mentioned that the character Isaac is eating a piece of pound cake soaked in Dr. Pepper. That tells me a lot about that person's character. There's there's something kind of childlike about wanting to eat that much sugar, pound cake soaked. Also, it sounds kind of good. And at the time, I just, it just came out of me. I just wrote it. But it also was very indicative of a character who has this kind of arrested development and is eating something to me that a child would eat. So when there's a moment when they're eating, I definitely want to think about what they're eating. Uh, that book has a ton of food in it as well. And there are many times where, where, where Darren Matthews, the main character of that novel, who has this deep kind of ambivalence about being a Black Texan, there are certain foods of Geneva's that he eats that really light up something in him. And, and they're, they're, they're food, foods that are very particular to Black culture in Texas. And that, that he has such a central reaction to it lends itself to where he has the love for the state of Texas versus the other things about Texas that he doesn't like. So I never think about it like just in general, only when there's a scene that's happening about food, I really do think about Either it just pops in my head like pound cake and Dr. Pepper, or I really take some time to think about what this particular character would eat. I mean, Dr. Pepper pretty much wins. I mean, personally, I do. Uh, I put Dr. Pepper all the time in my barbecue sauce. I mean, the 23 uh, flavors yeah. and it, Dr. Pepper wins all. I, I just yep, no yep. judgment here, but that's what I do. <laughs> Magic potion it is. <laughs> How can, you know, in, in that sort of, and what you uh, describe for your character with your crime novels, you describe, say, like, the character eats food to show his uh, arrested development, to show this juvenile essence, if you will. And I mean, but like, you know, From Scratch is more of a, you know, romantic, leaning on drama. You know, how can you make, though, like, food romantic? How do you make food dramatic? I'm, I mean, thrilling even. Well, in this scene where we meet, we first see Ristorante Vigna Vecchia, they, it's, it's romantic in the sense that the food is being used to woo, it's abundance, but then there's also its beauty. And so some of that goes beyond the writing. You have to write it in such a way to inspire a cinematographer and a director and, and, and the set deck people to shoot it in a way that's sexy as hell. Uh, and then pick the right song to kind of go underneath it. So some of it happens at the level of the page, but it, it, in scripts in particular, it's happening on the page in order to inform how it's going to be shot. 
for which you're going to need lots of other talented minds and hands to make it look thrilling and sexy. But I'll tell you what, abundance, color, interesting combinations, these are the ways to make visually food feel sexy and thrilling and exciting. And from a plot point of view, you should just always, whether you're in a script and and talking about a TV show or a movie, or you're talking about a novel, ask, why is somebody proffering this particular food now and why? And and that that then makes food central to plot. And then it, it takes on a greater importance. You always want, you know, looking for something new and you've written in all these projects. When it comes to your voice, how did you find your voice, Attica? And how would you describe it? Whoa. I found my voice truly through books, although there was some element that was already there in early screenplays I wrote. I went to the Sundance Labs uh, at their their writing lab and directing lab uh, a bazillion years ago. Um, and, and the project I went there with turned out 20 plus years later to be Bluebird Bluebird. So it was a it was a project about rural East Texas and 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 about this Geneva's cafe. And I read a saying once that I can only paraphrase, and I have no idea who said it. I didn't make it up, which is that an artist kind of starts out with their hearts and minds wide open, ready to take on the world. And then at some point on their journey, they get the shit kicked out of them. And what's left is who they really are. I feel like that matches my career. That I came out of Sundance. I had a movie deal. I thought I was going to be a director. It fell apart. I became a screenwriter. Nothing ever got made. I just felt like Hollywood didn't want me. And so I retreated. And I said, I'm going to write books then because they don't cost any money. I don't need anyone to green light my brain. I can just write a story. And so this idea of, of, of after having gone through all that, what was left, I think my voice is, I think it's bluesy. I think, I hope it's sometimes wise. I hope it's wry. I hope it has a an appreciation for the absurd. I hope it always has humor. I hope it is soulful. And I hope it is thoughtful and points and looks at politics in the terms of looking at the distribution of power. Attica, thank you so much. That was an incredible conversation. I loved every single second of it. And you are welcome back anytime. All right. For those who want to watch Attica's work right now, well, guess what? From scratch. It's on Netflix. Stream it. If uh, I don't know what other countries besides the U.S. it plays on, I'm assuming it plays on every Netflix app throughout the world. But if not, well, then get yourself a VPN, an ExpressVPN, plug into the U.S. Netflix site, and boom, from scratch, there it is. I mean, I'm, I'm at least assuming. Anyway, if you want to know more about Attica and what she's doing, well, and just if you're really a fan of her writing, which we are, and we support her awesome voice and her awesome words on the page, well, check out her novels. I mean, there's Bluebird, Bluebird. Uh, there's Heaven, My Home, Pleasantville. You can get them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, wherever you get your books. 
And then, of course, IMDb her. I mean, she's written for some hit shows out there, including Empire, amongst others. See the episode, watch her episode, stream it. That's right. As for us with Restaurant Fiction, well, you're listening to us. You found us. Hit me up anytime. My name is Monis Rose. Email is Monis at restaurantfiction.com. And until next time, as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior, restaurant.